Hello, you are listening to Delta Dispatches. We're discussing Louisiana's coast, its people, wildlife, and jobs, and why restoring it matters. I'm Jacques Hebert with Environmental Defense Fund. Excuse me, what? We'll talk about that. I'm Simone Laws with Restore or Retreat. Um, how was your birthday week? It was good. It was good. Uh, Did you do anything? Yeah, you know, I um got to enjoy New Orleans just kind of midweek, going to lunches. I got a massage. Um, <laughs> You know, I, uh, yeah, it was a beautiful week. I you love this job. time of year. I got a new job. Yeah. yeah. Well, so it's, I guess we can go there. Um, <laughs> yeah, we're as, going there. <laughs> yeah. As a lot of people know, um, we're part of a coalition called Restore the Mississippi River Delta. So it includes, um, you know, National Wildlife Federation, uh, National Audubon Society, Environmental Defense Fund, Lake Pontchartrain Basin Foundation, Coalition of Store, Coastal Louisiana, and then Restore Retreat. Is I'm our, just like a clinger. Well, yes. But um, so, yeah, I mean, we work very, very closely together. Um, and for the last four years, I've been with Audubon, which I've loved. We've talked a lot about birds. birds. <laughs> had a lot of really great features about the work that's being done through Audubon, Louisiana, with people like Eric Johnson, uh, um, Cynthia Dewey, who's the policy lead. You know, there's so many amazing people that I've had the opportunity to work with. And I think I was just ready for change. An opportunity opened up in New Orleans, which, you know, is great. Anytime I mean, there is, is an a real opportunity leap for you. in New Orleans. I mean, this is a real leap, right? <laughs> yeah. So I think you're referring to the fact that I am actually staying at my very same desk. Literally. In my same, same office. Desk, so, same office. You know, not much is changing. It's just, um, I, it's kind of like a different hat, right? Mm-hmm. And so we all bring our unique perspectives and strengths to the coalition and the work of coastal restoration. And so I'm just mixing it up after four years and kind of, tackling the issue from a different angle so i'm excited i'm, I'm still going to be here on delta dispatches every I, week i had two questions okay <laughs> so i i love you and i support the decisions that you make clearly I had two questions and they were purely selfish um one do we still have to talk about birds so much and the second question is wait are you are you are you leaving me? Are you leaving me? <laughs> so I think I still will want to talk about birds, especially because I'm, we'll I'm get to this. I'm the new bird person. We're going to get to this Eric next. Johnson because has with, got me hooked. Yes, man. with someone as brilliant um, at as Eric Johnson is about bird conservation, bird but buddy. tying it into He's why so it should matter in terms of coastal restoration. I think there's just so much to talk about, and um, he's you know, a great storyteller. He too. is, and so with him, and then of course we had Carol Langford on, who's mm-hmm. wonderful doing uh, golf restoration. Um, I do hope to continue to highlight and elevate the important work of bird conservation, the amazing work that so many people at Audubon are doing. Um, my uh, replacement, Lauren Berg-Williams. Oh, I'm unfamiliar with her. Oh, yes. wait. She also sits at the same desk. Yes, in the so same we office. share an office and she'll be <laughs> filling my role. Um, I did tease her. So I'm we like, like to keep it in the hey, family. new co-host. She's yeah. like, oh, no, 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 no. <laughs> no, she's, she's awesome. And this is, um, you know, great opportunity for her. And we've worked together closely. So, you know, a lot. What is that song? Everything changes, but everything stays the same or something like that. There um, is no status quo in Louisiana. Yeah. Right? So, but... But you're not leaving me, are you? <laughs> no, no, not today. Not today. I'm not. So we, um, I had a chance to spend quite a bit of time with Eric last week. We, um, while you were out partying up, jobless or whatever you were doing last Fun week. Unemployment. Yeah, yeah. We we had a, a very very busy week, and we did a couple of field trips, and um, the weather was amazing. If you remember that, very much like this week. Uh, but we went out to Davis Pond. 
We took a senator from Rhode Island, Senator Whitehouse, which is kind of confusing sometimes when you're making plans. <laughs> um, but Senator Whitehouse um, came to town and, and he actually spent um, almost four days here. So um, experiencing Louisiana, he's very interested in climate issues. And um, and it was amazing to tell our story kind of in long form. So from what I understand, he did this on his own. He like, did. Just as he did. Kind He's of a just very interested. Kind of wanting to yeah. come down. You know. He he did. He did. He does it all on his own. He gets curious about a subject. He is friends with Senator Cassidy, and so that was some of the draw. He got to see him while he was here, and actually, Representative Graves came out with us on the on the airboats. Mm-hmm. We went out to Davis Pond, but Eric came with us, and um, we knew that Senator Nelson had an interest in birds. Um, comes to find out, his wife's a, a big fan. And so, so is he, but Eric was perfect to take out there with us. He, um, talks about things so that it's approachable and understanding and he's funny and witty and he's, uh, he was really great to have at us. So have out there with us. We, um, we were out at the diversion channel and and many people know if you go out there at Davis Pond Pond in in Luling, Louisiana, that, um, in the diversion channel, when the weather gets warm, there will be hundreds of alligators out there. Well, it was a little too cold for them. And so all the birds were out and I've never seen so many white pelicans in one place. And, um, and so they also had some brown pelicans and Eric was just telling funny stories about the difference between the two. And, you know, Eric logs all of his Mm -hmm, birds. That's mm -hmm. what he like, you know, he keeps all his little numbers. And, um, so I was like, uh, Eric, let me see your notebook from when we went out to the to the outfall channel with all the birds. And he usually like has codes and it's like hatch marked. And he had like a code and it said like 800. <laughs> so I was like, wow, when Eric is saying that that's how many birds he thinks is out there in one place. And we're not talking about like little bitty birds. We're talking about giant pelicans. Yeah, it's crazy too. I mean, I've been out with him and he does his log mm-hmm. and he's, you know, tracking birds, you know, obviously by sight, but by sound, yeah, yeah. you know, um, and he'll also produce a species list mm-hmm. in ter- terms of the number of species. And it's like 80 plus species yeah. in one location. It just. So I we mean, had 30, yeah. 30 by our first stop. He had 30 different kinds. And so I have this great picture of Senator Whitehouse, Sheldon Whitehouse, looking at Eric's list. And it's just a great picture of those two. So it was it was nice. And we, he also went on a flyover. Is that right? So we did. Uh, Senator uh, Whitehouse did a flyover. Um, he went down to Burris. Uh, he went to look at Fort St. Philip. He went to the Center for River Studies. He went to the Central Wetlands Platform. Um, but we also had another official in town from um, the federal administration uh, by the name of Alex Hergott. And he um, does federal permitting. And so we talk about the dashboard sometimes that the sediment diversions are on. He's the guy in charge of the dashboard. And so um, we had core officials down. We had the director of civil works down from Washington, D.C. And we also had um, uh, Major General Kaiser, who's out of the Vicksburg Division, and then uh, Colonel Clancy out of the New Orleans District. And so we did that the very next day. But I knew all this bird stuff now, right? (laughs) Because Eric knew. Uh, But it was a really great week last week. But that that started that week started and ended with um, we were at GNO Inc. talking to their um, businesses that were interested in coastal work. Uh, we ended the week at their policy institute talking to people that were interested in um, maybe running for office and talking about coastal issues. So it was a whirlwind of a week, and this week is no different. Well, can I just say that 
you know, I may have been. That's on, what I did. You were like <laughs> spying it up. I may have been on fun employment, but you know, there's no rest for Simone Malaz, and you get so much done. Yeah, it's hard you to call it work when you're out in a boat. Such and a beautiful boss, sun. <laughs> uh, you know, in so many ways, and you know, I think we're Louisiana is so lucky to have you oh, out stop. there. Thank you. You know, as an advocate, but also as someone who is bringing these people. Um, down and helping show the best of Louisiana, but also really what's at stake and why we need to do what we're doing. And so um, no one does that better than you. And, you know, it's just, I don't know. I'm well, very honored to be sitting next you to you. You really don't want me to leave, huh? No. Well, <laughs> no Louisiana <I'm> <laughs> needs more Simone. Like, we need to be cloning okay, you. That, that's okay. too much. All right, all right. All right. Um, but we do have our guest on today, because I've asked her for a trillion favors over the past couple of weeks, um, is Erin Plitch from uh, CPRA. We're going to bring her in after the break. Um, but she's so amazing. She's out there with us, and she's a very, very important part of the story for us to tell. So um, I did want to talk about the New Yorker piece. Yes. So um, a piece came out in the New Yorker. It's online now. I think it'll be in the magazine this weekend. Um, Elizabeth Colbert, who is one of their kind of future writers, Pulitzer Prize winner. She was down here last year um, and we arranged a flyover for her. Um, we were down at a Coastal Connections event um, at Ryan Lambert's. Um, you know, she went I out with our friend event, Alex yeah. Kolker. Oh, yeah. Um, so, yeah, I mean, a beautiful piece, a beautifully written piece. Mm-hmm. I mean, I'm a fan of, of writing and creative writing. And so I'm just like in awe of the words. Um, that she uses and the way that she's able to convey such a yeah, massive issue like as like, yeah. you know, Poetic, the yeah. engineering of the Mississippi River, where we are now, where we're going in the future. So, I mean, I, it but is snuck research in. Yeah. And like a, a like clause. Extensive, like, People have written probably entire, you know, college th- theses on something. And she's like in a clause summarizes yeah, it. So, I, I, that, that part to me was like, Man, I say I use a lot of words yeah. and she use she uses amazing words in the right way. And it's not I mean, look, it's it's a very like realistic article mm-hmm. about the challenges we face, mm-hmm. but it's also like, okay, we've kind of gotten ourselves in this mess and we're gonna have to do something to get yeah. ourselves out of it. So that's what she talks about. But anyway, excited to get to our guests. We'll be right back um, after the break on Delta Dispatches. National Wildlife Federation gives voices to the wildlife conservation values that are part of our country's heritage. We are charting a new course for wildlife that our children and grandchildren will thank us for. Visit our website, nwf.org Louisiana to find out more about our work to restore and protect coastal Louisiana for generations to come. National Wildlife Federation, uniting all Americans to ensure wildlife thrive in a rapidly changing world. nwf.org Louisiana. Hi, I'm Don Cheadle. Listen up. I want to talk to you about something important, the Environmental Defense Fund. EDF isn't like some of the other environmental groups. EDF works together with those on both sides of the issue. Despite all the fighting in Washington, EDF has found ways for both parties to support real progress. That has made our air and water cleaner and the products in our homes safer. So not only can our planet prosper, so can our future. Go to edf.org to see how you can help. At Audubon, we believe that where birds thrive, people prosper. Nowhere is that more evident than in Louisiana. Integrating science, education, and policy, Audubon, Louisiana's mission is to conserve and restore natural ecosystems, focusing on birds, other wildlife, and their habitats for the benefit of humanity and the Earth's biological diversity. 
Visit la.audubon.org to learn more and support our mission. la.audubon.org. Restore Retreat is a coastal nonprofit organization working in the heart of the Barataria and Terrebonne Basins, from the Mississippi River to the Atchafalaya. We work every day to restore Louisiana's coast community and culture with our mission of implementing long-term and large-scale projects for our irreplaceable region. We'll hope you join us in supporting the solution. Check us out on Twitter, Facebook, and online at www.restoreorretreat.org. And we're back. You're listening to Delta Dispatches. We're discussing Louisiana's coast, its people, wildlife, and jobs, and why restoring it matters. I'm Jacques Hebert with Environmental Defense Fund. I'm going to see how if you mess up that. Because <laughs> we said yeah. it for 88 episodes. <laughs> <laughs> I'm Samoma Laws, with re- always with Restore or Retreat. Yeah, the, co- the the choice is always clear. With, always, yeah. always, always, always. Well, we are so excited. I think Erin might have been missing me this week, so I brought her back on the show. I asked her to do a, a big favor for me yesterday, and so, <laughs> so I just wanted to bring her back. Welcome to the show, Erin. Erin is a coast... Hi. Welcome. Hi. Erin <laughs> is a coastal research scientist with CPRA's Operation Division based in New Orleans. Her focus is on the monitoring and operational management of the currently constructed diversion projects. She also serves as the chair of the Carnarvon and Davis Pond Diversion Technical Working Groups. She used to be at Department of Wildlife and Fisheries, and she is an adopted Louisianian. Is that yeah. true? <laughs> <laughs> Where are you from originally, Erin? I'm originally from Massachusetts, up in the Northeast. So, so when Senator um, Roadhouse, uh, I keep saying Roadhouse, Senator Whitehouse from Rhode Island came in, Aaron's like, yeah, I know you. I'm, I'm from <laughs> Massachusetts on the other side. And she like named this little what town. What part of Massachusetts? <laughs> yeah, so I live right on the border with Rhode Island on your way to Cape Cod. So oh, I lived in the beautiful. coastal area, but... Yeah. I uh, spent a week one summer in Provincetown, and it was the most beautiful, fun experience. Like it's a, I said, New England is gorgeous in, a, in so many ways, and especially coastal New England. So what brought you here, Erin? Like, tell us a little bit about yourself so our listeners, all four of them, know, know more about you. <laughs> so um, I came down to the South in 2006 for graduate school, and I landed on Dauphin Island. Um, so while I was there, uh, the Deepwater Horizon oil spill happened and everything that went with it. So um, as part of all of the rapid assessment and monitoring and all those things that we were doing as part of the oil spill, I had the opportunity to actually go up in a helicopter to do some surveys. And as part of that, we flew over coastal Louisiana. And um, as you guys know from some of our coastal flyovers, it is just so incredibly impressive up there. And so when I was looking for jobs, I was uh, able to get on with wildlife and fisheries first and then with CPRA. And I'm just really excited that I was able to land in Louisiana. Um, Erin, I have a question because this has actually come up. I've had a few folks reach out to me recently, especially, um, you know, younger scientists that are looking to get their foot in the door, you know, in coastal work. So, I mean, you kind of successfully made that transition. Um, What advice would you give to maybe a young scientist out there who's listening about how to get their foot in the door, whether it's in coastal Louisiana, you know, in Alabama, wherever, um, to, to work on these issues? Sure. Well, internships are always a great idea. That's kind of how I started. The first thing I did um, when I was 18 was I got an internship with National Marine Fisheries Service. So that was sort of my first brush with, you know, biological science and fisheries and sort of 
the coastal um, industry as far as jobs go. So that was a really great way for me to realize that that's what I wanted to do. Um, from there, I ended up doing a lot of work with fisheries offshore. So if you're interested in coastal, you might want to stick a little bit more inland than I did, <laughs> but I still kind of made it to where I am now. Um, and then there are just so many programs. A lot of the schools in Louisiana now are offering some really great interdisciplinary programs up here, sort of the like engineering and construction side of like, okay, how do we construct living shorelines and how does marsh creation work and pairs that with the biological side. So I think that's a really neat trend that's happening now is that you're kind of getting access to these more well-rounded curriculums that can kind of send you in either the engineering direction if you find like you're more interested in the building of these projects or towards the biological side if that's more of your interest. So just talking to professors and talking to people and kind of seeing what people's paths are and networking and getting those internships as you can, I think is a great way to get started. So Erin, too, when I was when I was talking to you, I mean, building your bio for our um, show here, I, I know you also did volunteer work, too, right? And so that's another way to, to get into a subject or, or learn more about something. Yeah, absolutely. And Louisiana has so many opportunities for that. You know, you've got CRCL and Lake Constantine Basin Foundation doing lots of plantings on our coast, and that's a really great way to get to know people and get to contribute before you even start to think about career necessarily. So, Erin, tell everybody why you're my best friend at CPRA, and what what, what kind of things do we do together? (laughs) Well, I am your personal tour guide. (laughs) (laughs) I know it does feel that way, but you're so good at it. That's why. (laughs) Yeah, well, we've been having a lot of fun lately, taking people out um, to the Davis Pond Diversion. You know, as you guys mentioned earlier, folks from all over the country have been coming out here, and we've been able to show them a little bit about what we're doing, and it's just been really fun. We've had some great weather for some boat rides. Yeah, so that that's been really exciting. definitely has not sucked lately. Is is the beautiful weather and the high river and and this attention to our area. So, tell us really, what what do you do at CPRA? What does your every day look like, or what does your week to week look like? So my normal day-to-day is I'm, as you mentioned, the monitoring manager for our freshwater diversions. I've got a couple of other projects, but the um, Davis Pond and Carnarvon diversions are actively managed. So we have to make operational decisions on a regular basis for those projects. So what I'm doing is I'm constantly looking at the environmental data, what the water levels are, what the ponies are in our basins, and I'm using that information to make recommendations to bring back to our team to kind of discuss what we want to set the diversions at on any given week. So that's sort of what the, the day-to-day looks like. I'm also producing reports on a regular basis that kind of gives a snapshot of what the basins are looking like. So Erin, I mean, we focus a lot <clears throat> on the planned sediment diversions, Mid-Baritaria, Mid-Breton, and some of the others. Um, so some folks might get confused and say, well, wait, I, I didn't know those diversions were, there that, that diversions existed. But these are somewhat different. So can you tell us why um, Carnarvon and Davis Pond are slightly different than what's discussed in the Coastal Master Plan? Sure. So Davis Pond and Carnarvon are freshwater diversions. So they were specifically designed only to impact salinity levels. So at the time that they were authorized, way back in 1965, uh, salinity and was a really big problem in coastal Louisiana. So these diversions were designed to keep the top part of the water column, which is mostly just the freshwater not too much of the sediment land, 
and just divert that from the Mississippi River out into the estuary to try and push back the salinities and moderate and um, push that back down a little bit. You're getting into areas where oysters are experiencing predation and disease because the salinities are too high and bringing in some predators and diseases. And also it was starting to kill some of our marshes in the upper areas of the estuary because it was, the salinity was creeping up so high. So these diversions are designed really to calm that back. And so, because of that, when the river's high, usually the basins are a lot fresher, and you don't really need to combat salinity. Um, when the river's lower is when the salt water tends to push in a little bit, and so that's when we're operating the diversion. So we're actually operating these completely opposite to what a natural flooding process would be or what these sediment diversions are planned to do to more mimic the natural processes and optimize the sediment capture. But that's part of the story that we tell, though, right, Erin, when we when we do take all these groups out here, th- these structures, and we'll talk about the way they physically look, they're no, they weren't even designed for this uh, other purpose that we want to use these um, sediment diversions for. But but what's happening and what changes are y'all seeing in the outfall areas for those projects? Right. So even though we're just taken from that top portion of the river, the Mississippi is so well mixed that we are actually still getting those fine sediments suspended. You know, that's why we call it the muddy Mississippi. It looks, it looks muddy. You can see it. not so all those fine sediments that are up in the water column. So even pulling from the top, we're getting all that fine material that's coming out into our marshes when we divert. And it's been really interesting to see that even without really trying and by operating opposite to what would really be an optimized um, regime to capture any sort of sediment, we're still seeing land gains in some of our marshes. And it's really, really exciting to see that with a diversion that's not really optimized for this, it wasn't designed for this, but we're still able to collect some of these fine sediments and build land. So it really... Um, it's exciting for us to look at and think about what we could do if we actually designed something for that purpose. Yeah, I mean, you can see it if you go and look at um, satellite imagery over Carnarvon or Davis Pond, certainly if you fly over it. Um, if you're out there on boats, you can see, you know, oh my gosh, there's like these trees and like wildlife everywhere. So um, it's just so impressive, you know, to see kind of some of the newest land in Louisiana that's being built by the river and unintentionally. even ex- more exciting to think about the potential for um, projects that will actually be designed to build land, what they will do. I agree. Aaron, we're uh, we're up against a break. Will you hold on with us through one more? And um, we'll start talking about what that physical structure looks like. And we'll talk about a few more details like that. Hi. OK, thanks, Aaron. You're listening to Delta Dispatches on WGSO 990. We'll be right back. Restore Retreat is a coastal nonprofit organization working in the heart of the Barataria and Terrebonne Basins, from the Mississippi River to the Atchafalaya. We work every day to restore Louisiana's coast community and culture with our mission of implementing long-term and large-scale projects for our irreplaceable region. We'll hope you join us in supporting the solution. Check us out on Twitter, Facebook, and online at www.restoreorretreat.org. National Wildlife Federation gives voices to the wildlife conservation values that are part of our country's heritage. We are charting a new course for wildlife that our children and grandchildren will thank us for. Visit our website, nwf.org Louisiana, to find out more about our work to restore and protect coastal Louisiana for generations to come. 
National Wildlife Federation, uniting all Americans to ensure wildlife thrive in a rapidly changing world. nwf.org slash Louisiana. At Audubon, we believe that where birds thrive, people prosper. Nowhere is that more evident than in Louisiana. Integrating science, education, and policy, Audubon, Louisiana's mission is to conserve and restore natural ecosystems, focusing on birds, other wildlife, and their habitats, for the benefit of humanity and the Earth's biological diversity. Visit la.audubon.org to learn more and support our mission. la.audubon.org Hi, I'm Don Cheadle. Listen up. I want to talk to you about something important, the Environmental Defense Fund. EDF isn't like some of the other environmental groups. EDF works together with those on both sides of the issue. Despite all the fighting in Washington, EDF has found ways for both parties to support real progress. That has made our air and water cleaner and the products in our homes safer. So not only can our planet prosper, so can our future. Go to edf.org. And we're back. You're listening to Delta Dispatches. We're discussing Louisiana's coast, its people, wildlife, and jobs, and why restoring it matters. And it is the third segment, which means yes! it is the Coastal Stat of the Week. I just want to preface this by saying that, um, you know, sometimes we trade off Coastal <laughs> Stats of the Week. Who picks them? Um, Simone picked this one, and it's very interesting to see. She is just full on. It's an homage. Full to- <laughs> on. Well, I thought it was just a. Well, you have to read it today. How about that? Okay. Uh, I think it's, well, maybe an homage, but I think it's also a sign that Simone is bird crazy I am, now. I am. Okay. I'm on it. Look what you did, Eric. All right. <laughs> so coastal stat of the week. The Louisiana state flag features a white pelican on a blue background with three pelican chicks in a nest. It was introduced in 1912, but it wasn't until 1966 that the brown pelican was named the official state bird. The brown pelican, once extinct in Louisiana, has successfully been restored to the state. The brown pelican nests in large colonies on islands along the coast. Egg laying usually peaks in March and April Mm -hmm. when two or three chalky white eggs are laid. The helpless young must be cared for and fed by the parents for at least the 75 days it takes them to fledge or learn to fly. And... Speaking of, there's some good news about that because there are certain areas, certain like islands that oh, um, yeah. brown pelicans need to nest. And one of them that's really critical um, is Queen Bess Island. And Quis- Queen Bess Island was recently awarded funding for restoration. Um, which- so I thought that was, I thought, so definitely influencing me, you and you and Eric for sure. But I, I was telling the story about the pelicans and the, I've never seen so many white pelicans. So I thought that was an interesting fact that the white pelicans on the flag, but we talk about brown pelicans a lot too. And those are the ones that I think I'm used to seeing. Mm-hmm. And so it's cool. Um, I, and I never made that. I mean, I've obviously seen the white pelican on the flag so many times, yeah, but I never so thought iconic, like, why though. is that there? And then why is yeah, it different? But yeah, it's so iconic and pelicans are so associated with Louisiana. And there are some great stories about Queen Bass restoration coming online. So I'm excited to talk about that. In the Pierre is um, a brown pelican, though, I believe. I don't know what Pierre is. <laughs> he is something. <laughs> he is something. Is he a pelican? Yes. Yeah. <laughs> he's he's angry looking sometimes. They, I think but they, no, he had a makeover. Yeah, he's they, less... They softened his brow. They softened him. <laughs> yes, he, all right. Aaron doesn't uh, want to hear all this stuff. <laughs> Welcome back to the show, Aaron Plitch. Did I say that correctly? I sometimes call Jacques that, but (laughs) under different circumstances when I'm mad at him. So I have to be very careful with that. (laughs) So um, you're used to this too from from going out there. But, you know, I think you and I had a conversation about 
we were impressed that Eric was impressed um, out there when we went out there. But tell um, Aaron, tell our audience what um, we found at the Crim Station when we went out there. So we actually went out there and crazy enough to send her away. I was from Rhode Island the first to spot it, but we found a model duck nest um, with a bunch of eggs. And I think maybe mama birds not so thrilled about all the airboats coming up this year, <laughs> but um, it was really neat to see um, that birds were actually not only using the area, but nesting at one of our sites that we're going out to see. So that was really neat. It was very neat. So Senator Whitehouse, like, talk about bird eye. You know, I mean, just zeroed in on this little nest that was very hard to see, sheltered. And when Eric gets excited about something, we were excited. And so, um, you know, we do try to be not very invasive with airboats and all those kinds of things. But uh, it was so cool to see something like that. And they had, like, little feathers around it. It was very yeah. cute. Well, let me ask yeah. you both. I mean, since, since you were there and, and were integral to the tour and, and everything, I mean, what was his, beyond the birds, like, what was his reaction to Davis Pond and to kind of the Louisiana restoration story that, you know? I would I w- I w- start, Aaron, and then and then I want to hear your perspective because I think it's interesting. You do these a lot. But I think Senator Whitehouse, um, we had slowly kind of laid the groundwork. He had been to the Center for River Studies to see the physical model. But until you get out there, it's something else to see. I think people are very surprised by the scale of what we're talking about, about the ma- the size of what we're talking about. And I think when people talk about ecosystem projects, other places, they're not talking about hundreds of millions of dollars. But Erin does one of my favorite, favorite things every field trip. She takes a core sample and um, the core sample tells the story of the land building. And, you know, the, the, you know, chunk at the bottom is highly organic. And then there is this huge chunk of clays and silts that sit on top of that. And then there's a nice mix at the top of both of them. So um, we not only can display the size and scale of what we're talking about. And as you mentioned earlier, this is a mini version in a different intent for what we want. But then we can also tell that story in a a sample like that. So Aaron, what what do you think? Well, yeah, I think you, you hit it on the head. And when we pull that sample, it just really drives home that, hey, we built this. You know, this is a foot to a foot and a half of new land that we built using this diversion. But just taking everyone on that trip and taking everyone through the ponding area at Davis Pond, I think everyone's just so excited. They're getting to see all of this life that's using the area you know everyone's playing at the bald eagles that are living there and there's always ducks flying around and alligators and you know it's it's exciting to see other people get excited about being out in in an area that we're helping to sustain and rebuild and seeing that excitement and joy of just looking at what we're building It's, it's it's fun for me. <laughs> yeah, I agree. Aaron's right. I mean, it, that area is thriving and it, you can feel it. We've been out there before and there's so many birds and things in the water, probably things I don't even want to know out, out there, those <laughs> kinds of things. Um, but it, it's, it is exciting to see other people get excited. And then in the case of the uh, second official that we had out, Alex Hergott, he he knows these diversions on paper and he knows lots of things about permitting and the process, even the construction design. But then he gets to see it in real life and he gets to see this these different groups of people like um, NGOs working with government, you know, um, all together with the Corps of Engineers, 
addressing this issue. And so that's that's nice to see too. Um, you know, not just see a, a plan that was on paper put into action, but to see the partners that are kind of rallying around the issues. Um, good too. Yeah. I mean, I, I want to talk a little bit about, you know, we've talked about like the, what it looks like in terms of the wildlife and the, you know, even the core, but what does the actual structure yeah. look like? And I mean, you know, I'm sure people drive by these all the time. Mm-hmm. I actually grew up next to the Carnarvon freshwater <laughs> diversion and we called it a canal because we didn't know what it was or why it was there. Um, but, but yeah, tell us about what it looks like and, um, you know, basically the engineering behind these structures. Yeah. So what it looks like when you drive up is just like a concrete part of the levee with some giant sticks sticking up out of it. <laughs> but what those actually are, are, uh, they're, they're the gates for the structure. So at Davis Pond, we have four gates. They're 14-foot box culverts. So each one of those is 14 feet square. So they kind of give you an idea of the size of that. And then, of course, we have the channel. So on the Mississippi River side, we've got um, an intake channel that's down to a depth of about negative 11 feet, again, just to pull some water off of the top of that water column. And then we've got a 2.2-mile-long channel that goes um, out into our ponding area. So you've got our canal, as Jacques would call it. <laughs> yes. <laughs> and um, when we open those gates, the water flows out in that, into that channel. And um, it's it's actually pretty simple when you look at it. You know, you've got your concrete part of the levee and your gates, and most of it's sort of underground with those culverts and that channel going under the road and the railroad, which is really interesting from an engineering perspective. Uh, and then you're just diverting the water out. So um, at Davis Pond, our structure is capable of diverting 10,650 cubic feet per second of river water, um, and that empties into our 9,300-acre ponding area. So, you know, like we mentioned, it's hard to envision the scale when you're just talking about it or looking at it on paper, but it's, it's pretty impressive when you're standing on the structure and then going out and actually getting into that 9,300 acres to see how big it really is. And Carnarvon is similar. They had to go under the road, right? Similar, mm-hmm. but different. Yeah. yeah, and I mean, you drive past it, mm-hmm. and you don't even, you could not, yeah. you may, might not even notice it's there mm-hmm. in some ways, right. you know, like, because it is just a highway. And then, I mean, you can see, you know, the structure on either mm-hmm. side, but like, if you're just driving, it's not like you're going over a bridge or anything. So it's pretty cool to think about what's going on underneath the highway. Is that, are those culverts too, Aaron, or what is, what is Carnarvon? Yep, Carnarvon's pretty much the same, except we've got five gates over there, and they're operated slightly differently, but it's, it's basically the same mechanism, but the capacity is a little bit smaller, actually. So over at Carnarvon, we're only capable of diverting 8,000 cubic feet per second. So one of the things, too, Erin, I think you mentioned it earlier in a, a very clear way, but these projects are operated every day, and, um, you know, there's a lot of intention behind it, and there there's... This is like dictated by Congress, right, Erin? How how this works? Yeah. So these projects were actually both Davis Pond and Carnarvon were authorized in the Water Resources Development Act of 1965. So it took a little less than 30 years to get the first one built, which was Carnarvon in 1991, and then um, 10 years later we uh, had Davis Pond built in 2001. So. Um, Congress authorized it under the Water Resources Development Act, and the Army Corps of Engineers was actually the one who constructed the projects. And once they were constructed, they then turned them over to the Basel Museum to be operated. But Congress still does have to authorize funding for us every year for um, the Army Corps of Engineers because they do still cost share on, on this project with us. 
Uh, they pay 75% and um, the state of Louisiana chips in 25% for these projects. So it's really interesting to think of it from that perspective that, you know, Congress actually has their hand in what's going on and with these structures. Yeah, so that's something that's part of the story that we have to tell is that, you know, this was this is set how it's supposed to operate and, you know, somebody, you know, has to physically operate it. But that's also part of the reason like that you had the technical committee, right, is is to review the operational plans and, and to, you know, there's a lot of thought behind that. Yeah, absolutely. So every year we're getting together with um, a group of about 20 or so um, different folks sitting on a committee. It's called the advisory committee, and we've got federal government represented, local governments, and on that committee, um, various state agencies, and we also have stakeholders and landowners that are represented there. So we're really getting a lot of perspectives at one table to sit down and discuss every year about, okay, how do we want to operate these? What have we got going on in the basin? What can we do better? What what do we want to see in the upcoming year as far as how we operate these structures? So it's really interesting how we bring all of those folks together to, to make a plan to operate these. On both projects, right, Erin? Yes, for both of them. For separate, separately. <laughs> the both projects have, have yes. committees that review it. So, well, Erin, we're up against one more break. If we can, uh, I want to talk to you about the CRIM station and what the science is behind um, how you operate these things and how y'all get that information. So if you don't mind sticking with us through one more break, um, we'll continue to, to pick your brain about this project and to talk about it. Um, do you mind staying with us? Of course, sounds good. Okay, you're listening to Delta Dispatches on WGSO 990 AM. And we're back. You're listening to Delta Dispatches on WGSO 990 AM. Always available online at deltadispatches.org. Over 80 wonderful episodes of experts, friends, and more. 88. 88 now. 88. What are we going to do for 100? I don't know. You know, in um, the TV world, when you get to 100, it's you hit syndication. So that's when you make your big bucks. That's why Friends and all those those shows, that's when they make their money. Okay, so Us. we're going to have to be renegotiating. When we're making our money. Yeah, contract. renegotiating. <laughs> Listen, we're going we're gonna to do a, a Friends, uh, you know, uh, yes. strategy where we're in this together. Yes. And yes. You, <laughs> you raise Jacques pay, you raise mine. Exactly. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, uh, Aaron, welcome. We'll raise Aaron's rate, too. There we go. <laughs> Erin, uh, welcome back to Delta Dispatches. So if you've ever listened to our show, you know we like to ask our guests some fun questions. Yeah, we do. Um, I have two mm-hmm. for you, and they're going to be a little hard, and I'm sorry to put you in this position. Oh, gosh. Okay. But they're they're quick. They're kind of rapid fire. So the first question is, crawfish boil or clam bake? Erin. <gasps> crawfish boil. Good answer. All <laughs> right. Second question, gumbo or clam chowder? Ooh, that one's tough. <laughs> Now, now you put me in a hard in a hard place. Aaron, Aaron. I don't know if I can handle this. <laughs> plead the fifth. Plead the fifth. <laughs> I think I have to plead the fifth. They okay. both listen. I have I have certain moods, and they are both perfect for certain moods. You know, like gumbo. Yeah, I is amazing. Clam chowder is really heavy, so if it's a cold night, that's really gonna like put the meat on your bones, but. Um, both you, are a staple in my household. Do you make clam chowder for your honey and your puppies? What do you do? I do. I actually do, make a fish chowder. Oh. 
Um, but it is it is not good for your heart. <laughs> There's a lot of bacon that goes. Into it. All right, last question: Shrimp po' boy or lobster roll? Mm. I gotta go with the lobster roll. Okay. Go with my roots Look, on that one. I'm you, sorry. you gave us crawfish boil, and we understand. And See how she devolved. Yes, there. exactly. She, she went back home. These are not, uh, and by any means, mutually exclusive. And, and we appreciate your honesty. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, mm-hmm. I'll still be your friends, and I'll still call you up for favors all the time. Um, so, Erin, one of the things that, that's a highlight of our trip when we go to Davis Pond is we stop at the station and we take the core sample, um, and that's called a crim station. So, tell us about what CRIM stands for and what what that network really is and how that helps us here in coastal Louisiana. Yeah, of course. So the CRIM stands for Coastwide Reference Monitoring System. And what that is, is it's an array of 389 different sites across the coast of Louisiana. Um, It's funded by CWIPRA, which is the Coastal Wetlands Planning Protection and Restoration Act. Good girl. There will be a quiz later. (laughs) (laughs) Um, but by having so many of these all across our coast, it's, um, they're all collecting the same data. They're collecting water quality and hydrology, um, vegetation types and coverage, soil elevation, accretion information. They also do flights to um, assess land water ratios across the coast. So by having all of these, we're able to compare different parts of the coast to each other to sort of see how the coastal system is doing as a whole, which areas may be um, needing more attention than others. It also allows us to assess individual projects and how we're doing um, from a restoration standpoint. That data also goes into our master planning model. So it's really been a great system. It's provided a ton of data, and it's actually one of the largest coastal monitoring systems in the world that has publicly available data. So um, it's really um, interesting that Louisiana is sort of on the forefront of that. And anyone can go and access this data. It's um, available on the website. It's uh, on lacoast.gov slash crims, I believe. (laughs) Um, But folks can go in and you can check out various sites in Louisiana. It's kind of fun to play around with a map viewer, but um, it's, it's a really interesting system, and it's um, one of the first of its kind, I think, that's really paving the way for monitoring systems. Yeah, and we have a new blog on our website that came out recently on MississippiRiverDelta.org um, by Grace Tucker, and it's about CRIMS and kind of the different types of ac- um, data that folks can access and, you know, the variety of, um, you know, ways that that data can be used. And so, I th- and she did mention that, you know, basically Louisiana is leading the way in real-time sea level rise monitoring, um, and that's the title of the blog. But a lot of that is because of the CRIMS um, system and network. And so definitely go and check that out. That is one of those things that impresses people when we tell them what this little thing looks, you know, what this is and, and how we use it. And and Aaron, we even had questions about, hey, is that data being fed into the, the sediment diversion planning too? So um, it's they do trainings on how to use that data, and, and we... Um, direct everybody to go look at that blog because it's very helpful for people who are really interested in getting that data. And on the other side, it allows a layer of transparency, you know, that that we're collecting this data and, and what we're using for it. So it looks like a little bit old nothing. Um, and in, in Davis Pond, it, there's a story too, right, Erin? We use that as a, a milestone. Yeah, so the CRIM site at Davis Pond is really great because they actually installed it in 2008, which is the same year that the diversion became fully operational. So we have 
all of the data and information from when we first started operating the diversion until now from that crim site. But we also have a photograph of when they installed the crim site. And it's incredible to see. And, you know, describing it will, of course, not do it justice. But you look at this photograph and it's just an open expanse. You can see a ridge of trees way off in the background. So then you get out there, we bring people out there, and they go, that, this is not the same place. Right, because right. Because there are so many trees right up on that crim site. I mean, it is lush. There is so much there. It was described at first as a floating marsh. And I went back and I said, oh, I think there's something weird about this crim site. that it's a floating marsh, but, you know, we were out there, we were walking on it. And, no, it was a floating marsh when they first saw that crim site. And all of that sediment that's come and been put on top of this area has made it stable land that we can get out and jump on. And so it's really awesome that it's the first-hand demonstration of how these monitoring sites can really track the progress that we're making in coastal Louisiana. Erin's right. You go out there and you're like, okay, that's not the same place. And you're like, yeah, this is what this looks like. And so it's it's funny when a big army guy, like a big army guy, like Major <laughs> General Kaiser, jumps off the platform. You're like, no, don't. And he jumps onto the marsh and he goes nowhere. I mean, it's it's solid. And, and so that tells a story, too. So this one site, we can tell the story about how we're using science. We can take a core sample and show them um, the 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 land building and then we can also have the visual of the pictures um with what the crimp station looked like and and what it looks like now and then you know just for a little extra extra we put some fake duck eggs i mean i mean we put some uh <laughs> eggs out there um no i'm just kidding that was the joke out there i was like cue the bald eagle <laughs> uh it's, it's really great to be out there great place to tell a story Aaron, I have to tell you, you know, I've told you this before. I've told your bosses this. I've told your bosses, bosses this. You are an amazing storyteller, and we're happy, so lucky to have you on the show today. All right. Thank you so much. Another great show. We'll see you next week.